The Sport Industry Access Podcast, Episode 61. What core skills do you need to pursue a career in sports law? Welcome to another episode of the Sport Industry Access Podcast. I'm your host, Ed Bowers. As always, my goal each week is to interview a special guest who is a sports expert in a specific field in the sports industry, especially if you have an interest in pursuing a career in sports law. I hope today's episode can be useful to you with regards to your interests and needs. Now, getting back to today's show, this week's special guest is Daniel Gee. Daniel is currently a sports lawyer and partner in the sports group at Sheridan, where he provides legal sports analysis for Sky Sports, the BBC and TalkSport Radio. Also, Daniel is the chairman at Football Aid. I can happily say that I'm very interested about Daniel's line of work, and it's great to have him as a special guest on the show. That's when today's episode, Daniel will share his sports career journey and explain to you the core skills you need to pursue a career in sports law. Daniel, it's great to have you on the show. Please, can you share your sports career journey to listeners? When did it all start? So it's a good one. I mean, it just depends how long you've got, actually. <laughs> so I would I would class my sports journey probably um, even before I went to my first um, Liverpool versus Oxford United game at Anfield back in the, I guess, mid 80s actually with my dad uh, my dad always tells the story that actually I didn't I only could sit still for about 60 minutes so he annoyingly had to leave <laughs> after about 60 minutes of the game but I think there in terms of just sort of my affinity to football and sport more generally um, I was obviously hooked into to football and Liverpool indeed but also my mum was um, a relatively good tennis player so I grew up on the tennis courts um, loved playing cricket as well but to be fair I think the thing that got me hooked about football was probably this one video that um, uh, I was given I think for my sixth or seventh birthday a VHS video which might be new relatively new terminology to a lot of your viewers um, which was uh, Liverpool's official history from 1892 to probably would have been the mid 80s to the extent that I knew a lot of the commentary from the particular um, goals that were scored and so still to this day I sort of can recollect and remind myself but fast forward a few years since and um, I was keen on doing a law degree after my A-levels I decided what better thing to do than to write a dissertation on the Bosman decision and uh, the changes to the FIFA transfer system, which were happening just towards the end and beginning of, beginning of the millennium. And then more or less to stay in university life for next year, I managed to convince my dad to um, fund me a little bit longer and to, before I got paid back to, um, uh, to do a master's in football broadcasting rights and competition law and you know it sounded a lot more um, jazzy than it was is basically just um, a review of lots of different broadcasting and football decisions and to try and get to some common position on what was happening throughout Europe and that obviously sparked my interest thinking actually I can do something law and, and sports related then you know fantastic I could combine my career with something that um, uh, that obviously very passionate about and I, th- and I think that's 
fast forwarding to another one of the questions I think you're certainly going to we can certainly talk about is uh, you know how you get into career and sport um, and sort of combine things together and it's 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 definitely not an easy thing to do but I'd say through a lot of perseverance and hard work um, a little bit of luck but being in the place at the right time and you know having um, having a decent amount of knowledge about particular things or being able to read read up on them very relatively quickly then I sort of got my first break relatively quickly into my first job at Jones Day, which is a big American law firm, when they had some banking work that just happened to be and happened to involve um, a pretty high profile um, Premier League club. And so a lot of the bankers who were doing work on the deal needed to understand how the football landscape landscape worked, how broadcasting rights were distributed, how transfer fees um, uh, were accounted for and how things worked in the industry and practice. And, you know, most football fans would probably be able to give a decent amount of um, insightful comment on it. But you know, having having done a, a master's degree, having done some work in the transfer sector, having done some research into it, um, that just gave me a bit more credibility to start the journey. And, and since then, and apologies, this is a very long answer to a very short question. Um, since then, really, I've again been in a fortunate position to work on a number of takeovers um, of Premier League and Championship and, and Scottish clubs. Um, to work with a number of agencies and players um, on transfers, on image rights related matters, um, on disputes, on um, Brexit issues, on work permit stuff, uh, on particular clauses and contracts. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm very much in a privileged position to um, being something that I, doing something rather that I, you know, really enjoy. Um, but sometimes it does have its... Um, have its downsides because it can be a little bit uh, 24-7. Absolutely. Look, Daniel, that was a great first response and I'm just really interested to hear more. But just going back to your master's degree, how has that supported you looking back now? Massive, um, because I think what um, a lot of people when I chat to you know aspiring sports lawyers, students, people wanting to get into the sports industries, everybody says, look, I'm really passionate about football or sport or tennis or cricket or athletics or rugby or whatever it may be um and because they have that passion they think that they'll make good sports lawyers when that does certainly play its part but the thing that i think is equally as important is substantively showing that you've given the industry some thought that you can offer some insight um that you can debate the issues affecting that particular sport or sector or industry and one of the ways that i got at least a modicum of credibility early on in my legal career, which is the fact that I'd done a big dissertation on the Bosman and Bosman and the transfer system. So I, you know, as students, you don't have that much more to do apart from do a lot of research and, and write and think about it a lot. Um, and in the same with my master's degree on the broadcasting rights side, it just gave me an extra um, element or string to my bow to say, not only am I obviously passionate about sports, but um, I've said some interesting things about it, hopefully, or at least I've read enough about it, um, and I can debate and discuss the types of issues that are impacting. But at the same time, you know, I, I very much knew I wasn't going to suddenly go from um, doing a master's degree, which I'd spent a lot of time doing, suddenly into the um, the fulcrum of a big sports law practice that I'd be doing 100% of the time. Up until four or five years ago, I was still doing work in a whole host of sectors, sport being one of them. Um, but 
that's just effectively increased my hopefully I think my skill set so that now when I am focusing very much in, in football and to be fair also in basketball for example and esports are some of my um, sort of newer areas of um, experience and expertise um, all of these skills sort of cross over and, and I think I'm very much um, a better lawyer from working outside of sports now the time more inside. Just from an industry perspective how is the legal sector developed with regards to professional sport? Well all I, all I can probably say is in my um, uh, in my career to date um, there probably have been a decent amount of changes. I think there's certainly more sports lawyers around because there is more work uh, there's more work because there is more money in sport generally there's more money in sport for lots of different reasons but primarily it's because of the way that people consume content people consume content usually via satellite subscription but that is obviously evolving so i think in part or a, a relatively high proportion of the reason why <clears throat> sport has evolved because of higher wages because of high transfer fees because of uh more controversial issues around doping um, issues to do with uh, cheating whatever else there may be compliance data whatever whatever the multitude of issues are in a way relate to um, the commercialization of sport and there's no doubt that that obviously has grown substantively you know I give always the example of Premier League rights you know to go from um, a few hundred million back in the early 90s to the best part of 8 billion globally for Premier League rights over a three-year cycle um, is monumental. And you can obviously see that with the way that the transfer um, window has happened so far to date. So um, I think if I was to say one thing, it is because there is more money involved in the game, uh, people don't want to, some stakeholders, be it clubs, uh, agents, players, leagues, rights holders, uh, want to make sure that um, their contracts are watertight, that they're innovative, that they're thinking about important issues, that it's future-proofed in lots of ways. And and that's where I think, you know, um, myself, the guys that I work with at Sheridan's day in, day out, um, offer some real value added. Um, even on some contracts and some endorsement deals we've done lately, um, they, you know, the, the fee that we have charged for the piece of work has ultimately been dwarfed in um, particular clauses that have been redrafted to give, you know, bluntly extra money or greater protection um, or um, extra value for the client. And all of those type of things are the things that, you know, lawyers in my position, I presume, would be thinking about um, being essential uh, these days. What you're talking about also sort of relates to today's main topic. What core skills do you need to be able to pursue a career in sports law? Well, yeah, I always have this debate with a lot of the guys actually in our Sheridan's team about whether we're actually sports lawyers or whether we are commercial, IP, uh, dispute, endorsement, brand lawyers that just happen to work in sports really or whether we're sports lawyers with an innate knowledge of particular sports um, that then have a broad skill set based on the variety of work that usually comes our way. I'm sort of, I'm still not sure, you know, 12, 13 years into my career, but I think what I said previously was, I mean, 
I came from a background of um, regulation. So when we were talking about my master's degree, I was doing that in competitions or not something that I worked in for a long time and continued to do some work in competition law um, in various facets. And competition law is very heavily details orientated, be it in lots of different regulations, be it in very complex and nuanced case law that requires you know, a deep insight and a deep knowledge into those particular cases um, and uh, issues to crop up. That type of legal background, which has now sort of enabled me to, you know, have a pretty good understanding of all of the different sports regulations in a vari- in the variety of sports, is a really big and important matter. So my, I think my bread and butter is sport regulation, um, and that takes the shape of um, a lot of football stuff. But as I said, obviously also basketball and rugby and tennis in different ways. Um, I think over and above that, you very much need an appreciation of contract and commercial law for any type of endorsement, commercial contract, image rights deal that is that is coming up, which is very important. And that's something that I've worked hard at over the last well, five or six years to, to make sure that I'm, I'm skilled up and up to speed. Although, you know, any lawyer that says they know all is probably, um, probably doesn't <laughs> because, you know, everybody still needs to keep uh, learning and, uh, and feel that, uh, you know, they're really adding some value and more importantly that they don't know at all because there's always something you can learn from someone else. Um, and then I think the third element in, in terms of at least my practice for skill set is dispute resolution. Now, some people call it, you know, um, litigation, but I think the, the, the art of being able to resolve disputes between two parties, which can sometimes be over significant sums, um, is very important. And I think that's sort of, in my mind, um, solutions-driven approach to try and find avenues of um, mutual recognition of ways of being able to see other people's positions, but ultimately find ideas and inventive solutions for things becomes becomes really important. So I hope I haven't dragged on, but the idea is I think it's regulation, I think it's contract, um, and I think it's uh, dispute resolution. And they are, they are, in my mind, three of the areas that... Um, that I would probably consider my core, uh, my core for my day-to-day job. Just from a career perspective, for listeners who'd like to pursue a career in sports law, what skill sets do they need, in your opinion? Well, I, I guess outside of the pure technical stuff, um, technical legal skills, um, I, I would say. Um, the first is perseverance. Now, I think there's a lot of people that want to work in sport, um, but then I think there are only few that are willing to um, to take a long, longer term view on something. You know, I've been in the industry and I'm still, you know, 35, so I haven't been in it forever. Um, I've been in the industry for a while, but, you know, it's a softly incremental nuanced approach to everything you can't expect just to suddenly think right i really love football and i read the back page on the transfer news so suddenly tomorrow i expect to be a hotshot football lawyer um it takes a lot of behind the scenes perseverance Um, and when i when i what i mean by that is is that you know for a long time i got great advice from people some fantastic mentors that were like right you just need to you know when 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 you're resting on your laurels you're resting on your laurels um, and again, what I mean by that is uh, no one sees the hours that you put in that you're just putting in for yourself. So when you come home after a day's work 
and you think, well, I could read those two articles or I could write that blog um, or I could read those regulations, which are actually going to be really important and useful for me if I want to go on the radio and speak about something um, or I can just go to bed. And um, sometimes I'm the latter, <laughs> but more often than not, I've, I've been the former. And, and that former has basically allowed me to increase my knowledge base, um, allowed me to speak on a variety of topics, you know, in, in the press, on, on TV sometimes, uh, and then obviously on my blog. And all of that um, has been really positive recognition then um, of me becoming more and more ingrained into the into the sports industry. And by doing that and by networking, speaking to the right people, building relationships, not just on a business level but on you know personal level a lot of the, my clients i can uh, sounds really corny i consider my friends um and it goes beyond just a professional relationship now obviously that can be tricky sometimes but the point of all of that is as a sports lawyer and a football lawyer in to, talking about this to you in the transfer window you know i'm been on the phone 10 times today speaking with clients about potential deals um you know it comes around that pretty crazy hours sometimes you know have to work a lot of weekends and i'm not expecting a poor me type of thing this isn't this isn't the point of what i'm trying to say the point i'm trying to say is is that you need a pretty hard work ethic um and a pretty robust approach to uh, sometimes a bit of a work-life balance um which people might not necessarily see as much they'll just see oh he did a great deal there was a great deal that daniel was involved in i wonder how lucky he was to do that in my view there is less luck involved and more hard work determination building your network, um, building very good, strong relationships, getting back to people quickly, um, understanding um, what they need, but more importantly, you know, having your knowledge base to be able to explain sometimes difficult concepts in a, an accessible manner and trying to find solutions. So again, sorry to, to give a relatively long answer, but the whole idea is, is that, you know, things don't come easy. Um, and that's, I think, the thing that I try and stress to a lot of people. It really is um, hard graft and a hard graft over a significant period of time. And I'm certainly not there. I'm having to continually work hard <laughs> and graft hard. Um, but that is the, the blind side that I think a lot of people don't see for people that hopefully are doing pretty well, succeeding in their particular industry. And that's something that I've always got to keep checking, putting in check, which is, you know, keep building, keep doing the right things, um, keep building the relationships so that you can continue to do some great, good, well, I think, great work for my clients and some high-profile deals, um, which ultimately mean that, you know, word of mouth spreads and, uh, and, and people like to use me and like to work with me. I assume uh, communication skills are just critical in your line of work from a day-to-day -day basis. <laughs> yeah, I mean, very much so. Uh, a lot of the time, you know, a lot of my clients... Uh, communicate in a variety of ways less so on email these days and more on whatsapp <laughs> um which is actually a little bit scary because as soon as you know, the, the client sees the two ticks it means that you've read it which means they're probably expecting an answer relatively quickly um so communication is vital um it's it's building that relationship sustaining the relationship solidifying the relationship and making sure that um you know they they believe i.e. the client believes you know what you're talking about and that you're looking out for them and that you're doing the right thing for them um and you know it sounds silly to say but there's lots and lots of ways that you can mess up relationships very quickly um 
hopefully I haven't done I messed up too many times but there's definitely been occasions where you know a word here or a word there differently um, makes quite big changes and uh, and and can make um, make difficult situations worse so you know as much as uh, traditionally you know 20 years ago people would still be sending letters maybe on uh, on telephones, desk phones, basically now because of just the instantaneous nature of the way that we communicate, you know, email, WhatsApp, text, voice message, video, everything just means everything is so instantaneous um, that it can get quite hectic and demanding. And at that point, it becomes very important to set, take a step back and make sure that you're not rushing an answer, that you're not just going back for the sake of it, but you're really adding some insight um, and not necessarily just for the sake of it. I find this really interesting. That's the response I was going to say. We're in a society where everything's fast paced with the use of technology. Just relating back to your own self-development, was that the reason what inspired you to set up your own blog? To be fair, it's a really good question. I mean, I when I finished my master's degree back in 2003, it just, it just turned out that I finished around a month or so early. And my tutor at the time, Mark James in Manchester, said, you know, you've written a really good set of pieces on uh, on the football broadcasting market. Why don't you consider uh, put it, writing a couple of shortish articles? When I mean shortish, it's still three to 5,000 words. And submit them to the Entertainment Law Review. And that was obviously a law journal that... Um, I really respected because a lot of the pieces that I'd researched had come from there. And so I sort of did it without really thinking that, you know, I'd come anywhere near a situation where they would um, accept it, never mind publish it. But they published both pieces, which was fantastic. One on Premier League broadcasting rights on the other one on multiple club ownership. Um, and and after that, because it, because it was football and a little bit more sexy than the, the sort of slightly drier topics, um, people just asked me to write particular things in journals, the World Sports Law Report being one. Um, and after a while, I just thought, actually, um, I need one place to put all of these articles. Um, so instead of sending them out on email where people could just see it and access it a little bit easier. So at that first point, the, the, the website and the blog was just a collation of my journal articles. And then I actually realized, well, for SEO purposes and to um to be able to drive traffic to organically to, to my site. Um, it was important then just to have a blog and to start to start going from there. So, I mean, you know, over the last 10-ish years, since about 2000 and no, a bit longer, probably 2005, so sort of 12-ish years, you know, I've kept a blog on particular areas. I mean, it started out more broadcasting focused and is now probably a bit more transfer and regulation um, and, and contract focused. Um, but it's given me a great appreciation of having to, you know, research hard, um, articulate sometimes quite difficult concepts into accessible terms, as we talked about. And and just as with the blog, Twitter has been, you know, um, a godsend in a lot of ways. Um, it's been a, a fantastic tool to be able to put messages out there um, in, a, again, a very accessible manner. Um, and when issues and topics arise, just like you know, a few years back with Terry and Suarez and and Elker and God knows there's been so many over the years. Um, even you know Matip and um, and Nyon with the with the African nations call up all of those type of topics where you can just give a bit of very quick, um, hopefully insightful comment. Just allows you to be able to put messages out that hopefully help people um, demystify the the industry. So you know blog and Twitter combined um, have, have 
have really helped my career in you know fantastic ways uh, and even to the extent where you know work has actually come in from um people emailing me from my website or people you know tweeting me and dming me on uh, on twitter and asking particular questions which have led to building relationships and work so um yeah i mean it's very easy to get it wrong as well which is also sometimes important to to uh, keep at the back of your mind but on the whole um it's it's been it's been a really positive thing all i was going to say is there will be a link to daniel's website to his blog because i think your articles are fantastic I actually read your uh, i think it's quite an old one about a buyout clause in football and it just gave it a really clear examples but just relating back to your own career now, what have you been up to recently? It's a good question. Um, well, I guess recently it is its transfer window. So uh, we work with uh, five or six relatively large agencies, and then a number of smaller agencies that have a number of um, you know relatively high profile. Premier League and international players um, and so in some instances it will be you know helping the agent and or the club uh, with transfer negotiations either drafting of particular clauses um, interpretation of particular clauses assisting with the representation contracts with associated image rights deals there's also a busy period generally at the moment over the last few windows when you know agents or particular intermediaries can be uh, cut out of deals uh, and so agents may think that they have, you know, a, a legitimate uh, claim to a commission that they didn't receive. Uh, the same way, there's lots of endorsement deals uh, with lots of brands on a variety of matters for for uh, for players usually. But we've worked on a number of um, endorsement sponsorship deals for some of our uh, Premier League club clients as well, which has been really exciting. Um, and then again, one of the areas that we've been trying to focus on a bit more is on the player side. Um, is just to help them understand the perils of social media, um, to give training on, you know, betting regulations, match fixing issues that can crop up because, you know, it's so easy to get tangled uh, into difficult scenarios. And, you know, the best case is that the players are well enough informed that um, they realise that uh, they're, they're treading a, um, a tricky line if, if, um, if people approach them, if things go wrong, if they are betting on games that they shouldn't be, etc. So um, it's, it's trying to make sure that you develop good enough relationships with players that they can give you a ring or their agent can give you a ring and, um, and, uh, and, and really assist in the different ways that hopefully I can. I think that's fantastic. Uh, I've all already mentioned on this podcast show with regards to athlete safeguarding and what you've just said there is just brilliant and really great to hear. Just touching back on your career, what have you enjoyed the most looking back now? I think it was probably a couple of deals that we did um, that have been high profile that obviously you've got to stay very quiet about <laughs> for the reason that, you know, I can't, I can't even tell the missus. <laughs> I think what, what I mean by, by that is, is that I've enjoyed actually being on the inside of deals, not being able to say anything, and then the deals breaking um, into the public domain um, and being high profile uh, enough that then, you know, the, the family or the missus or friends say, oh, did you see that deal that happened with X player moving to so-and-so? I was like, well, yeah, we, we worked on the deal and it was, it was great. Um, and they were like, oh, well, tell us all about it. And obviously I can't really, but I think that's one of the fun elements, which is um, working on something high profile that then causes a stir. Um, I think some of the other things we worked on, which have been quite important matters, has been... Um, when I feel there's a bit of injustice that's caused, and sometimes that can happen just with 
players being disqualified from particular tournaments. It may not even be football. It's usually lots of other sports where they don't necessarily have the a good, you know, the right type of funding to be able to, you know, mount a good defence. And I, I sort of try and take those on on occasion to be able to help um, to be help sportsmen generally. But I think I'd, I'd probably say that the most important ones for me are, um, you know, when 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 the client. Uh, you're working with is usually a relatively new client um, and you develop the relationship and the develop, development of the relationship gets to such a good level where, you know, they're on the phone to you a lot, they're emailing you, they value your opinion. And, and I think almost that's the point where hopefully you get to situations with clients that, um, you know, they're on the phone to you because they believe um, they've got you you've got their back but also it relates to what you said earlier in this interview it's all about providing value both ways and it sort of leads to my final question I'd like to finish with an inspirational question what advice would you give to university sports students who want to pursue a career in sports law I think very simple uh, as we sort of touched upon before um, perseverance is massive um, if you're easily um, uh, if you easily shook off things and don't necessarily um, take no for an answer, then then great. Um, but I think the re- the real key is just to keep going. Um, I think you also really need to have an incredibly hard work ethic in terms of um, developing areas of interest in sports, so that when uh, jobs come along or where potential interviews happen, you don't just turn up and say, you know, I've got a real passion for football or tennis or cricket, but you know the issues impacting on cricket like the IPL or you know the issues impacting on tennis with the doping scandals or particular issues that have been going on at the moment or again in football with FFP or buyout clause, as you said, in football or the way that dis- broadcasting rights are distributed so that, you know, you can really show some technical expertise, even if you haven't necessarily done a huge amount of work. And I think that's that's the key. It's the passion combined with knowledge, which I think then gets you into a position of being able to then demonstrate that you're more than just a football fan, but you're a lawyer with an impressive skill set that understands the industry or at least has grown to understand the industry. And I think if you can start from that base um, and persevere and keep plugging away and keep networking and speak to people and get advice then I think that's a, a good start. That is great, Daniel. To the listeners listening, I really do hope you take that piece of advice on board. How can people interact with you? Well, um, yeah, just through my website, which is danielg.com, through Twitter, uh, which my Twitter handle is Football Law, and I think I'm on Instagram as well now, even though I don't quite have as many followers, unfortunately. But, um, uh, yeah, I'm a Football Law on Insta, so, yeah, just get in touch and, and say hello. That is great to all the listeners listening in. All those links will be on my website relating to this blog post. Daniel, it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you very much. Pleasure. What a really interesting career journey from Daniel. And I really do hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. For me, the biggest area I just found so fascinating was what he does as a job. What he does with regards to the legal side, with regards to sport. The examples he was giving with regards to his involvement in the English Premier League in football is just fascinating. And I really do hope you took on board those examples because that type of information and those little case studies of his involvement and most of all the professionalism of his job where he can't even talk to his family about the type of work he does in the office, it just shows what goes on behind the scenes in that sort of transfer window in English football and 
the professionalism of it and for that reason it just shows that the legal process has such a big important factor towards the transfer element of a player or any other little subsections of how law can have an influence to an athlete's career but most importantly from a career perspective if this is what you would love to do as your dream job I really do hope you took on board what Daniel was saying with regards to the core skills in being a sports lawyer that it's all important having the legal understanding and education but it's also having those soft skills and being able to think on your feet communicate effectively in a short period of time so if this is something you want to do I highly recommend you checking out Daniel's blog the information is just fantastic and you can get some great career advice but most of all understanding in how sports law has an impact in professional football but most of all give it a go and good luck now as always at the end of each interview i like to finish with an inspirational quote from my guest speaker so you can discover your career journey in the sports industry and take action daniel said you need to have a real work ethic understand the issues in sport so you can show technical expertise. That is the key. Combine your sports passion with knowledge.